This is the Dave Logan Podcast. Welcome to the Dave Logan Podcast. Dave Logan and Julie Brown are with you. Podcast number, I believe, 15. Yep. My high school football number. Because of why? Why'd you pick 15? Um, I don't think I, I don't think I did. I, I was a quarterback early in my career, and thus, that's a quarterback number. If, Me and Tim Tebow um, and Bart Starr. <laughs> As a quarterback, who did your game, you know, like um, – if you could pair, compare your game as a high school quarterback, what did your game look like? I was in friggin' high school. I, I mean, know, but just make it up. Like, were you a scrambler? Were you Lamar Jackson? No, I was not were Lamar like Jackson. <laughs> Drew Brees. Do you see me? <laughs> no. Uh, no, I was a, I, I mean, I was a good athlete, so, and I could throw it. Uh-huh. So, but I don't, we're, we're, go, we're going back a few years. I, I wouldn't compare my skill set at at fifteen to anybody in the NFL, right? Did you run at all? Did you scramble? Oh, at I could all? run. I mean, I played wide receiver in the league. Do you think I couldn't run? So you're comparing it to like John Elway. You comparing your high school quarterback uh, to John Elway? To, to how John Elway was in high school. I mean, John was a was a phenom. John had a great great arm, and John before his you know the knee surgery and all that was was really athletic. He could run. Can't run now. Of course, mm-hmm. neither can I. If so, you guys had a running race. I'd beat him. <laughs> he would not beat me. You sure? I'm absolutely positive. Okay. Well, you you look at me like you don't believe I me. Mean, who who, who you, you don't you don't believe me? Do you think one of you might break down, or you just think you're just I'm not going to worry about that? I mean, I might, I might have springs <laughs> shooting out of my ass. I mean, as, as I go face first after the first 25 <laughs> yards, it'd be it'd be like it'd be like it'd be like a. One of those old hot rod cars, <laughs> where then all of a sudden you take off and the you know, I mean you're you're flooring it and the hood pops up against your <laughs> windshield, you know, and a tire blows. I mean there'd be all sorts of things <laughs> happening to my body that might be. <laughs> I mean I could be irreparably harmed, but I would win the race. I don't. Doubt I'd that. win the race. So were you surprised at Rich Gangarello? No. Really? At I was all? Not. Nope. I was not. Uh, I was more surprised when Vic Fangio, a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, when asked a direct question about whether or not all the coordinators would be back, he said yes. Because I, I was sort of hearing rumblings that that might not be the case. In Rich's case, you were hearing that already? I was hearing for both Rich and uh, Tom McMahon. Okay. So, I mean, you hear those things, right? I mean, right. when you have a disappointing season. So, but I, but I think, listen, I think it came down to the Broncos making the decision that, and I, th- I think Vic Fangio was part of this. I think John Elway was part of this as well, that we're not nearly as good as we have to be on offense. And I think Vic thinks that they can get better by making a change. And especially if you got a guy like Pat Shermer. So... I mean, we'll see. You hired him as a head coach. I think you have to allow him to be part of the ideas and have a, a good part of the decision-making with respect to what his staff looks like. I also think, and I can't prove this, but you know, we kept hearing during the season that Drew Locke wasn't ready. Um, and I talked about this on the air uh, today. John Elway, I, we had him on the show, and I asked him, 
you know, when, in your mind, when will Drew Locke be ready? Because we keep hearing he's not ready. What, in your mind, constitutes being ready? And his answer was, and I'll paraphrase, he said, I'm going to rely heavily on the assistant coaches. I'm going to take what they say because they spend all this time with these players, which they do. I mean, assistant coaches spend way more time with players than anybody else, including the head coach. So now I think I connect the dots and say, okay, after Drew Locke played for five games and played the way he did, which was pretty doggone good, I think the theory in the organization was, why didn't we play him earlier? Physically, he was ready, but we kept hearing he wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. He wasn't ready. There was the learning curve about playing under center, and that's true. He didn't play under center hardly at all at Missouri. But if he could come in and play the way he did the last five games, and you, you finish seven and nine, I mean, I, I again, nobody's told me this, but I have to think that both Vic Fangio and John Elway said, well, wh- why the hell, why didn't we play him earlier? Why, wh- what do you mean he wasn't ready? So you think maybe Scangarello didn't think he was ready? I, that's, I, I believe that is accurate. So would he have been dismissed because of that? And also, what did he do wrong? What What was the main thing? What were a couple of the main things that you don't think that they were happy with? Didn't, score, a, didn't score enough points. I mean, the bottom line in the NFL, you know, that's if you're the offensive coordinator, it matters how many yards you get. It matters what your average per play is. It matters what your third down efficiency is. But the bottom line is you better find a way to score points, right? I mean, they scored under, uh, right at 17 points a game. I also made the point today of the playoff field this year, back when it first started in the NFL. We're down to the final four now. Only one team of the playoff field averaged less than 23 points a game, and that was the Buffalo Bills. The Broncos averaged 17. So, I mean, you could come to the conclusion very quickly that they're not nearly good enough offensively to realistically uh, be even remotely ready to challenge the Kansas City Chiefs. And they didn't score a touchdown in two games against Kansas City. And the game here in Denver, they they look so entirely overmatched that watching that game, I mean, and I've played in a lot of games and called a lot of games, seen a lot of NFL games. It was one of the only times that I ever just, during the game, thought, they have not a clue. They, they have no shot in this game. They seemed totally overmatched. They couldn't block it. They couldn't run it. Uh, I mean, it was just they were as close to being inept as I can ever remember seeing a Bronco team. You know, I don't know why I guess we're so shocked that this move would happen because you have a first-year head coach who is a defensive coordinator, and then you've got a first-year offensive coordinator. So the chances that it was the offense was going to go swimmingly was probably not that high. There's there's always natural friction. It's just the way it is. In an NFL hierarchy, when between a head coach and the coordinator on the side of the ball that the head coach does not have a background in. It's just the way it is. Mm. Was there friction between Vic Fangio um, and Rich Gangarello? I, I believe so. Uh, was it completely out of the norm? I don't know that to be... A fact, and I said also today, you know, when I think back to Mike Shanahan, and I mean full disclosure, Mike was my receiver coach his first year in the NFL, and I think so highly of him. He's a friend, 
But I also know this. Mike and Greg Robinson. Greg Robinson was the defensive coordinator of the 97 Super Bowl championship team. There was plenty of friction between those two. Because as a head coach, and your expertise is on the other side of the ball, but in Mike's case, he knew what what you know frustrated offenses because he was calling the plays. So he knew from a defensive standpoint what gave him problems coverage-wise and front-wise and what do you do when you're a nickel. And and so he he was much more involved in the defensive side than people thought. So he and Greg Robinson battled in, in a, you know, worked out fine. They won the Super Bowl, but it wasn't like it was kumbaya the entire year with Battled those Battled in that you could just feel it? Sure. You, you knew it was there. And I think both guys would, would say absolutely. And I don't even think that's out of the norm in the NFL. I don't think that's out of the norm in college. That's not out of the norm in high school football, right? Because the guy calling the plays, if he's an offensive guy, he knows what bothers offenses. So he knows what he sort of wants on defense. So when he, he's getting ready to play another team and he's looking at the other team's offense, he has an idea of what he wants his defense to look like because he call, he schemes offenses 24 hours a day. You like Pat Shermer. You like that move. Been an offensive coach for 21 years. Worked with a number of, he just worked with Daniel Jones, correct? Mm-hmm. So you like that? They're going to be in the shotgun a lot more. I think Pat Shermer's offense with the Giants this year, they were in the shotgun right at 70% or, or thereabouts, which I think will benefit Drew Locke. He's got much more expertise. He's got, he's got um, experience, as you said, as an offensive coordinator. I mean, I'm going to wait and see, right? I mean, I think it's... I think they feel like, they being Vic Fangio, John Elway, that this is an upgrade at that position, that we're going to be better at that one position right now. So I say, well, you know what? I'm, if, if that's what you think, I'm all, I'm all for it. You get, I mean, head coaches, GMs, that's why they're head coaches and GMs. They get to decide what their staff looks like. And so I'm, I'm anxious and interested to see what Pat Shermer sort of brings. It's kind of like, that somebody moved in the block it's it's been a fairly you know tight block friends block parties somebody just moved in and so you're obligated to sort of invite them to to the the christmas bash you have a nice little party everybody comes over but mm-hmm. you know what everybody's going to bring because you've been doing this for 3 or 4 years and you know that they they're, they're going to bring the mac and cheese and they'll bring all oh, they they you know i'm anxious to see what pat Shermer brings to the party i mean i i just am i want to see what he what he brings. I want to see how this thing looks differently next year as opposed to what we saw this year. I can't wait to every time the first time I see him, I'm going to think of mac and cheese. There okay, we go. Can we do a little serious story? Well, I, wasn't that a serious story? <laughs> didn't, <laughs> we, didn't we just have a serious moment? We're going to go more serious. Did you read the sports section of the Denver Post? Yes. Sunday? Okay. Did you see the story on the Rooney Rule? And the New York Post did a nice story. I did. On that. I did. And I was just curious if... From your perspective as a former player and somebody that's been around the game, so there's been four coaching vacancies that have been filled. Mm-hmm. Ron Rivera is the only um, minority. minority. Yes. And I guess in New York, Joe Judge, who's 38 years old, white, has no head coaching experience. So there's a lot of, there's some people that are upset about that. Mm-hmm. Do you have an issue with, and have, have had an issue with what's going on in the NFL, considering that 75% of NFL players are black? I don't have an issue because of the fact that 
of the players are black because I think that intimates that white dudes don't know how to coach black players. Mm -hmm. And I, I disagree with that. I think there are white guys that don't know how to coach black players. I think there are black guys that don't know how to coach black players. Mm -hmm. So the color thing to me, uh, in terms of the head coaching thing has always been, um, interesting to follow. I, that said, I completely understand the Joe judge pushback the way he got hired. I mean, I, I've been in this league. I mean, I played a long time as a player, long time as a broadcaster, followed the NFL. I've spent, what, 40 years in one capacity or the other closely aligned to this league. I had never heard of Joe Judge before that morning that Adam Schefter broke the news mm. that this is probably going to happen. Now, I mean, to me, if if I'm an African-American, this this does not pass the smell test just doesn't their owner just said he had the right feel well right i mean that, that he's he's entitled to that because that's his team and that's his money and i get that mm -hmm. but again it doesn't pass the smell test and i'm a white guy it's like really what 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 qualifications did he have and you've got guys like eric Bieniemy, right you've got guys like robert sala the defensive coordinator of the 49ers you have other qualified assistant coach. I'll, I'll give you another one. The Browns recently uh, announced that it's going to be Kevin Stefanski. Now, Kevin Stefanski's been in the league a long time, been his entire career in Minnesota, been one year as an offensive coordinator. I, I don't completely understand that that hire either, right? Um, but the reality of it is, and I know this has been talked about a lot, you know, the guys who own the team, ultimately they get to decide how they want to spend their money. And so I think in terms of diversity, uh, we still have to do a much better job in making certain that some of the decision makers, some of the GMs of teams, and some of the front office personnel uh, are much more diverse than they are today. I mean, one of my best friends in the game uh, is Ozzie Newsom. I played with Ozzie a long time in Cleveland. After his playing days, he became a scout. He worked for Bill Belichick. Uh, who, who at that point was the head coach of the Browns, started as assistant coach, went to scouting, learned the ropes, then became a GM. And I would argue he has been just recently retired. He's been as good a GM as we've seen in pro football history. I mean, he would rank, he'd be in the top 10 and maybe even the top five. Um, so I think we need more Aussie Newsoms. I think we, meet, we need more minority candidates that are put in positions of authority um, and you know, the Rooney rule was put in place, I think with, uh, with, uh, with pure intention, but it's too easy to sort of circumvent that rule. So the NFL just hired a woman named Dasha Smith, her, she worked at Sony. She's worked at a couple fortune 500 companies. She is their chief people officer responsible for talent and diversity strategies. <sighs> I, I mean, to me, to me, that sounds like window dressing. Me too. That, that sounds like we just make this hire so a lot of you will shut the hell up and just leave us alone. Right. You know, uh, there, there's no easy answer to this. There really is not. Um, but again, I think you have to start, you know, whether recruiting or enabling or suggesting or promoting, um, more diversity into positions of authority, not just only the head coach. 
but you have to work towards having, you know, GMs and scouts and, um, yeah, I mean, the majority of players in the NFL are black. But it, it comes down to, again, the owners of the team. I mean, it's such a select group. you got to have you got to have so much money. I mean, how many people in this country, white, black, or any other race, would ever be in the financial situation that they could they could possibly think about, I'm going to own an NFL team? Not many. And once they get there, most of those people are headstrong, and it's their money, and damn it, they get to do whatever they want to. So I think you have to start at sort of the grassroots level and work towards that rather than simply trying to get them to, you know, abide by the Rooney rule, which, I mean, you know, you go out and hire and, and interview one uh, minority candidate and that's that you, you have, you know, sufficient, su- sufficiently passed the Rooney rule. So you talk about no easy answers. Is there an easy answer to who's going to win the games this weekend? Titans, Chiefs, Packers, 49ers? No, no, it's, uh, I tell you, this is a crazy week. You know, I look at, I look at last week with Kansas City and Houston. I mean, that will be, we'll never, I would, I would say right now, the chances of us ever seeing a meltdown like that in NFL playoff <laughs> history ever again, you know, I've got a better chance of, of beating Emmanuel Sanders. I've got a better racing. chance of, mm, yes, beating Emmanuel Sanders at my age in the 40 yard dash. Well, unless he tears his Achilles at the start, it's never going to happen. I mean, Houston's meltdown ahead 24 to nothing. I, I still can't believe that Bill O'Brien did not go for it on fourth and fourth and about two inches from the Chiefs, like 15-yard line. You're up 21 nothing. I mean, it's like being in a heavyweight fight to me, and you've staggered the champ. I mean, you've got him hurt. You, you don't want to, like, let him off the ropes now. You want to go for I mean, if they score now and go up 28 nothing. I mean, who knows? But I think you got a pretty good chance to win. They they didn't, uh, and then some strange things happened. And I will say this about just body language watching the game: when Kansas City scored to make it twenty-eight fourteen, I think with about five minutes to go in the second quarter, I didn't like the body language of the Houston players right then. I mean, they looked completely resigned, and it was it's almost like they had the okay, we we weren't we didn't really think we could beat. You're still fourteen points ahead. And I thought they spit the bit, and that was really disappointing, uh, you know, just from a competitive football thing. But Kansas City is so electric on offense that it's just a lot of fun to watch. They are, Caesars just came out with their odds. They're 11 to 10 favorites to win the Super Bowl. I am not a better. This is probably an extremely stupid question, but what is 11 to 10? So if you take $100, yeah. or in your case, you'd probably take 1000 <laughs> So if if you go to Las Vegas right now and you say I want to bet a thousand dollars on the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, what you would get back if they won the Super Bowl was your eleven hundred dollars. You'd win a hundred dollars. Oh, well, that's lame. Well, so, so they're they're the favorite. Green Bay is seventeen and two. Seventeen to two. Seventeen to two. So if you took two hundred dollars, yeah. and said right now before the final four games are played, mm-hmm. I think the Green Bay Packers will win the Super Bowl, then you you could collect seventeen hundred. So that's they are a decided underdog because they're not. I mean, most people don't think they're going to get out of San Francisco. If I gave you a thousand dollars, who would you bet to win the Super Bowl? Right now. Mm-hmm. It's 
say it. I, I think I would take San Francisco. Really? Yeah. I mean, San Francisco and Kansas City, those are the two best teams remaining. You know, Kansas City's got to worry about, you know, the Mack truck and the Tennessee Titans coming to town, yeah. right? They got to they got to worry about that dude, Derrick Henry. But I but I, I think San Francisco. I, I'll tell you what I think. Kansas. I hope I hope it's Kansas City and San Francisco because I think it's a great matchup. San Francisco's front four are beasts, and I want to see what they come up with in terms of being able to pressure um, Patrick Mahomes. You you don't have enough guys to try to cover all of their guys. So to me, the only way to beat them is you got to be able to man up occasionally in the back end and you got to bring people or you've got to be able to sustain a rush with four and be able to get seven guys in coverage that that will give you a chance and force that ball to come out sooner than he wants it to come out. I think San Francisco is the only team that that may have a chance to do that. So I, I would say San Francisco with Kansas City right there. Before we get to the next subject, uh, are you as down on Lamar Jackson as a lot of people are no. on social media? No, I'm not. So that was an aberration. Um, two two playoff games in a row. He's kind of no. He was he was he was much better yeah. in this game than the game previously last year against San Diego. Listen, I, first of all, how about how about you catch the ball if you're a Ravens receiver? First pick of the game on the opening drive, they're moving the ball. Ball goes off the tight end's hands. Picked. They run it back to midfield. He tackles them out of bounds. They line up at the 30. So now you've given the team, your your opponent, the ball in the 35, your own 35-yard line. Okay, so to me, that's not Lamar Jack. The pass was a little bit high. This is the NFL. You get paid to go up and catch. That was, that was a business decision by the tight end because it's just human nature. When you go across the middle of the field and that ball is a little bit high, there's something in your head that even as your arms start to extend, they don't extend as rapidly as they should, <laughs> nor to the full extension level, mm-hmm. because you know you, you there's a chance that I could get my rib broken in half in about mm, 0.8 seconds. So I didn't like, and I think he should have caught the ball. Now, Lamar Jackson is not, he's not a complete product yet. But I, I, I mean, to me, I see enough there. I think you need some help on the outside. I don't think they've got necessarily big-time receivers there they they don't you know Mark Ingram being hurt and not playing very much that really hurt them and I said before the game if Ingram can't go and he had a calf strain and when he went down against the Browns uh you know he couldn't hardly walk on December 22nd so you know 19 days later you completely healthy to play in an NFL game I don't know and the and the proof was no he wasn't so during the season when Mark Ingram was not in the lineup they were a totally different team I mean, in terms of yards per carry and everything else. So, no, I am not down on Lamar Jackson. Okay, two random things before I let you run out of this room. Ready? Yeah. Nolan Arenado. Is there something to these rumors? What? What? No. Here's my random thought of the day. Okay, don't yell at me. No, I, I'm not. I'm not. But now you got me. You got me like fired up on this. Why would the Rockies right now even remotely entertain trading Nolan Arenado? I don't care to whom or for what. Uh, to me, I would take another shot at this this coming year mm-hmm. if, you know, what the Rockies are thinking last year was just sort of an aberration because we're a much better team. than Okay, I'm going to buy into that. So let's take another shot and let's see if we can be a playoff team this year because that's what Nolan Arenado wants. I, I wouldn't entertain moving Nolan Arenado right now. Do you think? But they are. Well, I mean, 
I don't know for a fact they are. Well, these are. But there's reports from more than one place right. out there that says that Rockies are shopping Nolan Arenado. I just that that to me that's that's not how I would. And I'm not involved in their payroll, and I'm not involved in any of that. So, but that's not what I would be thinking about doing. I'd be thinking about how do I upgrade? I need another starting pitcher, right? Uh, I need I need another bat. Uh, but I, but I, I you know. I'm not getting rid of that third baseman. What if you could get to play devil's advocate a number two, a one or a two, and a bat and a prospect, top prospect? Well, I need to know who it is. Who's the who's the one or two? And probably, if they're really willing to trade, even though I think Arenado is absolutely great, mm-hmm. most teams are not giving you their one. And I would submit. They may try to sell the guy they're giving you as their two, but they really probably think of him as like he's three C and a player. And I'd I'd say no, we got enough three C guys here in the starting rotation. I, it just not this year, not this year. Okay, I saw this story too, the business section of the Denver Post. You know, My, you and I look at you <laughs> a lot of time in your hands. Well, you read it too, right? Which one? The business section of the Denver Post. I did this Sunday. Okay. Besides a sports page, what's the next session you go right to? Like business. You do. Yeah. I go to lifestyle. Why is that no surprise? <laughs> Got to see what movies. Uh, okay. Did you see this? A man. I saw a good movie. Which was it? What was it? Um, the one with Adam Sandler. Uncut Gems. Is it good? It's really different. He plays. He sounds to me in the movie like. Uh, Robert De Niro. He sounds, his character, his voice, uh-huh. I'm sorry, Al Pacino. He sounds like Al Pacino. I'm like, wait, what? Who is this? But yeah, it's it's got a really uh, different ending, like where you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Okay. But yeah, you, you'd enjoy it. One more. Do you have Netflix? I do. Okay. The what do you spy? think? I live in 2020. <laughs> I don't have Netflix. Well, some people choose like Amazon or they choose HBO. You probably have everything. I'm assuming you have everything. No, well, I I try yeah. to I try to have choices okay. in life. It's called The Spy. Sasha Cohen, who plays Borat, it's a serious role. It's about Israel's top spy, who became part, who became like um, very trusted in Syria. It's a great, great, great series. What's the name of it? The Spy. Okay. And he plays a very serious role, and he's fantastic. Well, first, I'll have a hard time getting past when I first see him saying. That's Borat. I know. Is that not Borat? It's Borat. I mean, more so, I mean, if if you were to name 10 actors who got stereotyped (laughs) into one role, I mean, he'd be in the top 10. Do you promise me you'll watch an episode before this podcast next week? You will not regret it. I absolutely will. (laughs) You are shaking your head no. Okay, final story. There is a man in Canada. He's a Canadian branch manager for a Minnesota company. They got a holiday, um, they got a bonus, or not a bonus, but they got... So he tweets this out on social media. He said, what kind of multi-billion company gives its Canadian employees barbecue sauce as a holiday gift? Yet the USA employees stuff their face with an actual holiday gift box. So he's complaining about what they got for the holidays. He got fired. <laughs> I didn't see that story. Yeah. Should he gotten fired? He, he bitched about what mm. the company gave him as a holiday gift on social media. And he got fired. Listen, there are consequences to what we do and or say. Mm-hmm. You have the right to say what you want to say, 
But, I mean, you know, I'm employed by iHeart. It's my constitutional right with free speech to say, really, whatever I want to say. But if, if I say something that the company deems to be totally inappropriate or brings disrepute to the company, they also have the right to fire me. So I would say probably a boot time that he got the can. <laughs> so I would count that as a very dumb thing. What's the dumbest thing you've ever done? Go. The first thing that pops in your head. The dumbest thing I've ever done. Yep. I got fired from my first job at Putt-Putt Golf because, I thought it was pretty smart at the time, I gave three free passes to three of my friends to help me clean the course. I thought it was a rather enterprise. In fact, my first venture into entrepreneurship. Uh-huh. But the GM of the putt-putt uh-huh. evidently didn't share that particular feeling, and I was dismissed. If that's the dumbest thing you've ever done, you're fine. Well, no, I've done plenty of dumb <laughs> things. But I, but you, you asked me the first thing that popped into my mind. What's the dumbest thing you've done in this decade? And then we can, I'll let you go. Well, this is a brand new decade, so I haven't made too many dumb mistakes what's because the dumbest thing we've only had the like 16 days or 15 days what's the last dumb thing you did agreed to do this podcast